So thank you guys for ha having me here. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And, um, to be compared to Dana in any way oh. is like the highest compliment I could ever give. <laughs> so I feel blessed already. Just that is enough. Um, I have, I kind of, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. I am from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, like he was saying, where we've been going 24-7, day and night prayer. I just leaned over to Dana, and I was like, every time they emphasize 20 years old, it makes me feel so old. <laughs> so I always say, I've been doing it since I was five, obviously. <laughs> so don't do any other math, <laughs> please. Um, but that's what I've been doing pretty much. Constantly for the last 20 years, I was one of the first interns. I just kind of stumbled into it, didn't ever intend to do it. Didn't, I wanted to be a lawyer, that was my plan. I wanted to be a lawyer and go into the court system and fight for social justice issues. That's where my heart was coming out of high school, but I was really struggling with my faith and I didn't even believe in God. You know, the questions you're asking when you're 17, 18 years old. My dad was a pastor, I homeschooled, I grew up in the church. But you also see a lot of hypocrisy, you see a lot of boredom, <laughs> a lot of, is God real? Is this whole thing real? So I was in that kind of window when I was 17, 18 years old, asking these hard questions. So when the house of prayer started, I told the Lord, I said, okay, if there's a place where I can go and I can read your word, because I'd never even actually read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and I grew up in the church. I mean, think about it. How many of us have actually read the Bible? You know, I had not even really read it that much. So I said, if there's a place I can go to learn the Bible, to know you, and to figure out what I believe, I'll give you a year. I'm going to do it with all my heart. Whatever I do, I do very passionately. Anybody that knows me knows I do everything with all my heart. This has a downside as well. <laughs> Whatever I do, I do entirely. My poor parents were always like, oh, there she goes again. <laughs> entirely upset. <laughs> entirely whatever I was feeling. <laughs> so that I can't help it. That's just my nature. So I said, I'm going to go all the way. And I did. And 20 years later, I'm more convinced now than ever that the Word of God is the foundation of all of life. Amen. That the Holy Spirit is real. That God is real. That He does interact with humanity, not just as a whole, but even as individuals. I'm more convinced now than ever. Well, the last year, I've actually been in Jerusalem a lot. So I, yes. <laughs> and it, that also kind of caught me off guard. I didn't intend to stay there, but I went for a conference and ended up staying for almost in and out a little bit, but for a year. And I can just tell you what God has done in my heart when you take the scriptures that you've prayed for 20 years, you know, because most of the prophetic scriptures in the Bible are very Jerusalem-centric and definitely Israel-centric, right? And of course, there's applications to us, but when you see it with your own eyes, when you can prophesy with your eyes open, when you actually see people and faces and names that you've been praying for, because you know that whoever you pray for, you fall in love with. Yeah. That's, that just happens. You pray for and your heart expands. So being in Jerusalem this last year, my heart has just absolutely expanded with how earthy God is. Because living in a prayer room, as I've mostly lived in, you're a lot in the ethereal, you know, in, in your head and in the spirit. And that's powerful. But suddenly in Jerusalem, 
the spiritual and the earthy come together. And you go, oh my goodness, this is real. This is a real story. This is a real thing. And the one that began the story in the book of Genesis is going to finish it in the book of Revelation. And he's going to finish it in a very tangible, come on. earthy come on. way. Yes. You, you agree? Yeah, come on. It's so earthy and it's so real. You know, I think about the disciples a lot because I can relate to them to a certain extent. The disciples of Jesus were just these young men. Some people say they were as young as 15 years old, 16. They were young and they were zealous men. They knew the Torah they, and they knew the prophets. They were studying Isaiah. They were studying Daniel. They were studying Ezekiel and they were looking for Messiah. Now we in the Christian world 2,000 years later, we know Jesus as Savior. They, they had no thought of a Savior. They were looking for a political leader to come and overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and rule the universe for, for, from there. That's what they were looking for. That's still what they're looking for. In Israel, they're still looking for a political leader who has the anointing of God to come and eradicate the enemies of, of Israel and set up a kingdom. How many of you know that they actually have the story right? They had it right. They had the timing off, but they had it right. Jesus is Messiah of Israel. I mean, I know you guys know this. You love Israel in this house. Jesus is Yeshua, the King, the Messiah Come on. of Israel. Like, he's not just the Savior of the Gentile world. Come on. And he's not omnipresent. Jesus is a man. When Jesus put on skin, this is something that comes so I come so face to face with when I'm in Israel. When Jesus became born of a woman and put on skin, he put off the form of man right. forever. I mean of God, forever. Like think about it. He didn't die and ascend and become the ethereal God again. Holy Spirit's omnipresent. Jesus is still Jewish. Come on. <laughs> Jesus is a Jewish man forever. Think about this. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel's looking into the mystery of God, and he sees this whirlwind, and he says, I have a vision of God. Now remember, Ezekiel, thousands of years ago, to even say that God could become man, even today, they'll, they'll have your head for that. I mean, that you don't right, say right. that. That is so... You don't do that. So Ezekiel, all these years ago, he sees the whirlwind. He sees the throne of God. He sees the sea of glass, you know, just like John saw in the book of Revelation. He sees this whole beauty realm where the ancient days has been from before time began and where it will be forever. And suddenly, Ezekiel, it's like he, you get this feeling when you read Ezekiel 1. He's looking. He sees the torches burning. He sees the angels. He sees all that's going on around the throne. And then you can see he like looks closer and he blinks and he's like, there's a man. There's a man. There's one like the son of man. There's a man on the throne. There's a man on the throne of the universe, a man. Like what? There's a one man that's ruling the entire universe. And for the last 2000 years, he's been ruling through intercession, praying for the salvation because in the, the book of Isaiah, the father says to Yeshua, he says, it's not enough that you only get Israel. I want to give you all the, nations, all the nations of the world. Yeah. 
So Jesus comes, and I picture these disciples, you know, they're like, they, he's, he's doing signs and wonders, he's raising the dead, and think about this. I love to just think about Jesus, like in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 45, when it's the father talking about Jesus, talking about his son, and he says that he has the oil of gladness more than all of his companions, right? Because, because he hates wickedness and he loves righteousness. We're talking about a man in the flesh, these 12 disciples, they're drawn to him. Can you imagine a man with no issues? <laughs> no daddy issues, no mama issues, no greed, no bitterness, no hurt, no offense. I mean, talk about light in his eyes and the oil of gladness. These young men were so drawn to him and he was doing signs and wonders. Like in the book of Isaiah, they're going, this is our guy. This is Messiah. They so believed that he was Messiah and that the time is now that they're arguing about who gets to sit at his right hand and his left hand. <laughs> That's how convinced they were that the time was now. But in Isaiah, it says he didn't cry out in the street. He didn't cause a revolution. And they were confused. They were, they were revolutionary men. So much so that whenever they went into a city, and the city didn't accept their message. They went to Jesus and they said, burn that city down. <laughs> I mean, they, they were radical. They were ready for a revolution. So much so that when they came to get Jesus, Peter picks up a sword and cuts off a man's sure. ear. They were revolutionary men. How many of you can relate? When I was a teenager, I wanted something to die for. I still do. Something to fight for. I want a revolution. I want to be a part of something epic. I want to change the whole world. I don't want to just... I remember I grew up in a small, tiny town in Sundown, Texas. Texas? <laughs> yeah. to, to tell you the truth, I was quite happy to get out of there, if I'm honest. Because um, I was from a tiny little town, and I remember feeling like I was on a runaway freight train on the inside in Mayberry. Like, get me out of here! The world is going to hell, and I'm doing nothing! You know, that fire inside, like, I gotta do something, I gotta do something! And I remember my mom so often would just be like, calm down, Missy, calm down. I'm like, calm down! The world's going to hell! <laughs> and I've learned, hopefully, but I, mean, but I can relate to these disciples because they were revolutionary men, and they were looking for a revolution. And it's so, it's so powerful to watch the transformation of their lives because Jesus, at his first coming, it says in Isaiah 42, he didn't come to start, he didn't come to create the revolution the way they expected it. But how many of you know that he started a revolution? Come on. We are still in it. That's right. That's right. It's more real than anything you know. We are a part of a revolution. That's a literal kingdom that's going to be a future society of people that will rule and reign on the earth with Yeshua. Come on. Think about this. If you believe half of what we say we believe as Christians, we're either completely insane. <laughs> Or it's mind-blowing and wow, we should be we should be ecstatic all the time just thinking about just think about what we believe. <laughs> Even half of it, it's like, what? What are you saying? We believe that God is creating a future society of people who are walking out meekness and humility in this age, so that when he returns to the planet, he can turn the planet right side up 
and hand the earth to the meek. This is what Jesus taught. So Jesus, as Messiah, is walking with these young revolutionary men, and he begins to lay the foundations of his kingdom. As a Jewish rabbi, as a teacher, to these Jewish young men, he says, okay, this is the kingdom. This is the revolution. This is how it's going to begin. It's going to start in your heart. Yes. And he lays out Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he goes through John 12, 13, 14, 15. And he begins to lay the foundations of his kingdom. He says, you want to sit at my right hand and my left hand? You want to rule and reign? You want to be great in the age to come? This is the way. Think about this. I'm talking about a literal kingdom, a literal future government. And by the end of their lives, you know, by the end of John's life, who Jesus called the son of thunder, which by the way, probably wasn't a compliment at first. <laughs> it evolved into a compliment, but I mean, if you call, if someone's thunderous, think about what that implies about their personality. If thunder walks in a room, you, you get all the precious plates out of the way, you know, you're like, ah, here it comes. A son of thunder is a person that rumbles all the time, and it morphs into the thunder of God. By the end of John's life, he wrote the, the Gospel of John. He wrote it at the end. And if you read the Gospel of John, his emphasis on love, his emphasis on abiding, his emphasis on the transformation right, right. of our lives is to go from this egocentric baby. You know, when we're babies, we come out of the womb and we're just like, me, 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 me. We have no capacity to think of anybody but ourselves, right? The purpose of our lives is to be conformed from that egocentric baby to the image of Yeshua, which is a lamb. Sacrifice, sacrificial love. This is what he's building his kingdom on. This is what the revolution is about. This is where the transformation is that we are a part of. You know, I'm, I'm not a very patient person, and I don't like process. So I used to say to God, if I were you, thank God I'm not God, but if I were you, I would do it totally different. Like if the purpose of life is so that people get saved and they get to spend eternity with you, that's the purpose, right? Salvation. Then save them and kill them. Like, why not? Why the process, right? Save them, kill them. Then they can't screw it up. They can't make a mess. They can't backslide. They can't be all the mess that happens after somebody's saved. And there's a whole process to save them and kill them, right? <laughs> I'm near here, but I'm not God. <laughs> but the Lord is like, salvation is just the beginning. Do you realize that we are in a womb? We are in a womb. We are forming fingers and toes. Life is a womb. And we don't even know. The scripture says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. No dreamers even dreamt the dream of where this is going. You don't even know what you are yet. You know how like a baby in the womb, they can hear the voice of the father. They can feel the heartbeat. They can hear sounds, but they're sitting in the dark. Life is very much like that. We, we see a little bit. We see through a mirror dimly. We hear the voice of the Father. But life is a womb. And life is very, very short. But the process of that gestation period of forming fingers and toes, truly, truly, as simple as it sounds, is the process of humility, meekness, servanthood, 
love, forgiveness. This is the process. So that when we are born into eternity, when we die, we are born into eternity, the Lord can entrust us with the kingdom. The same is for Israel, and we are part of that kingdom. It's their Messiah that taught us these things. So we have been grafted into this kingdom. He literally is forming a future society of people who will rule. How many of you know that from the moment you are formed in the matrix of your mother's womb, you will never, 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 ever, 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 ever not be? Think about that. Amen. That's mind-boggling. I mean, that you will never cease to exist. So you might have 80, 90, 100 years due to strength in this life. What is it really all about? I mean, think about it. 100 years here and a billion 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 times a billion and a trillion forever. What is this tiny little vapor about? The brevity is actually part of what makes it so valuable. But it's so valuable. But if we lose sight of what it's actually about, if we think this is it, this is the end of the story, then we get discouraged. We lose our way. We grow bitter against God. We say, you should do it this way or you should do it that way. Or when we experience loss, we can't see past, you know, the hand in front of our face. We have to step back and get the bigger picture. We are part of a revolution. We are part of the kingdom. We are part of a family. And we are part of God now. If you've been born again and you have the spirit of God, we are part of something so huge. It's epic. But here's the thing. I love, I love Yeshua so much. And I, I love the Father because the way that you can be eternally great, you can be forever with him. He says, every cup of cold water that you give, I see and I reward. Like every time that bitterness rises up, I think bitterness is probably the number one thing that takes people out of the race. I know that's been my experience. That's been my experience as I look around. Every time you feel that bitterness, that disappointment, that entitlement, that pain, you know what? I think I think of bitterness. I used to think of bitterness was like, oh, I'm so mad, like like a wrinkled old prune, you know. I think of bitterness. It starts like this. This hurts. And then what do you do with it? You can't avoid the initial hurt. But what do you do with the hurt? What do you do with the disappointment? Every time you choose righteousness, the Lord says, I see it. It counts. And it's forming you. It's creating this sacrificial love. You're being conformed into the image of that lamb, that eternal partner that he wants. He actually wants to partner with us now and forever. But, but beloved, it's worth it. He doesn't say, if you fill up a stadium, I will reward you. Amen. If you write a book, Amen. if you make an album, Amen. if he doesn't even say, if you raise the dead or Amen. if you heal the sick. I know so many people in the ministry, and all of that stuff is good. I, I believe in all that. Amen. He doesn't say, if you have a revival. Like, I think more people lose their way in revival than anything. And it's, he, he does not evaluate us on any of that. Literally, it beforehand, it does not mean anything. Anything. Zero. Nada. Nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. Except what's done in obedience and love and gratitude and meekness. 
If he tells you to go fill up a stadium, do it because he's watching. Yeah. Right? If he doesn't tell you to do it, don't even think twice. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It literally is so vain. You know, I can relate to the writer of Ecclesiastes. And when I was a teenager, Ecclesiastes was my favorite book. So this tells you a lot about me. And yes, I'm still dressed all in black. <laughs> I, was that, I was that kid. <laughs> Ecclesiastes was my favorite book. But I can relate because I would sit and I would take my heart to the highest places and I would say, you know, what can I be? I could, I could become a humanitarian and do all these great humanitarian deeds, but then in the end, I die. What was the point? Or, you know, I could just be rich and make a lot of money and just have so much fun and luxury, and then in the end, you die. And what was the point? You know, what's the point? Everybody, I say every single message I preach, you are going to die. I'm going to put it on my tombstone. This is my life message. You are going to die. <laughs> I'm like Oprah. You get to die, and you get to die, and you get to die. Everybody gets to die. We're all going to die, right? <laughs> and what is ultimately the purpose, right? What is, it's not about ministry or stadiums or, or even our families. The only thing that he's looking at when you die and you stand in front of him, and you are going to die, and you're going to stand in front of Yeshua, the Jewish man, who told us very plainly how he evaluates humanity. He's also the creator. So only he has the right to say, you did it. You did that human thing. The human thing that I was watching, you did it. You know, I, I always tease, like, I wish I could bring my mom when I die, because my mom is really proud of me. <laughs> so maybe I could be like, Mom, tell him. <laughs> tell him. <laughs> tell him all the things I did. <laughs> but he doesn't care. He's just looking straight through the barrenness of my soul, straight through my exterior, right into the core of me. And he says, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And did you learn to love on my definition of love? which is, blessed are the hungry, the thirsty, those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. This is his standard. Did you abide? Abide in my word, abide in my love, abide in me. He made it so plain. You know, we are really without excuse. And the good thing is, anybody can do it. Think about this, anybody can do it. You don't have to be rich, you don't have to be beautiful, you don't have to be educated. You can be, but it's kind of irrelevant as, as far as the ultimate purpose of our lives. Anybody can do it. I remember hearing Mike Bickle tell a story one time about his brother. His brother was named Pat, and he broke his neck whenever he was 18 years old in a football accident. So here, Mike was a, a couple of years older, I don't know if you guys know who Mike Bickle is. He's the one that runs the International House of Prayer. Um, so he, here he is, really fiery for God, 19 years old, and suddenly his younger brother breaks his neck, is paralyzed from here down for 36 years. I mean, completely, completely paralyzed. He can only move his, his eyes. I mean, he can even not even move his neck. Had to be taken, obviously taken care of. Mike took care of him for a couple, for several years. Um, but I remember Mike saying with tears in his eyes toward the end of Pat's life, because, you know, Mike, Mike's ministry grew, he wrote many books, he went around the world, he traveled all over the place during the vineyard days, and 
he, you know, his ministry really grew up. But at the end of Pat's life, he says to Pat, you and I have the exact same opportunity before God to be great, to be what God evaluates as great. Now think about this. If you have these two brothers with totally different life situations, God evaluates them exactly the same by the response of their hearts. To me, this is beautiful. God is so just. God is so true. He is so just that anybody can do it. A child can do it. I had cancer when I was 19 years old. And I remember thinking, can I fulfill my life purpose at 19 with no money, no husband, no family, no education, no ministry, no impact of any kind? Can I fulfill a life purpose to where I can be eternally great if I die at 19? The purpose of God is for everyone in any life situation, in any economic situation, education situation. Anybody can do it. It's so simple that so few will. That's the frustrating part, is it's so simple that most of us don't even pay attention to what's going on in our inner lives the whole time. It's just you and God. Really? You know, at the end of our lives, it's just going to be us. But really, it's just like, he's like this the whole time. I say it all the time, but there's nobody on your planet except you and God. Most of your life is lived in your head. <laughs> and there's nobody there except God. Right? When he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Three of those are on the inside. Think about that. It's just you and him anyway. It really is. And all we love people as an overflow of loving him. But it's, he's in his jealousy has created us as a garden enclosed. For real, for real. And this truly is how he evaluates us. Um, and this is how he evaluates Israel. He does the same thing with them. There is, a there is a geography that he's going to come to. There is a bloodline that he's related to physically. There is a people group. He is going to come back. The disciples had it right. You know, he is going to come back as a mighty man of war. And he will eradicate the enemies of Israel as a warrior, as a lion. But the people that he's smashing are the proud and the arrogant. It's not the humble and the meek. He exalts the humble and the meek, and he will bring low the proud and the haughty. By the, by the time Jesus returns, the nations of the earth are literally shaking their fists in his face and saying, we don't want you, it says in Psalm 2, we don't want you, we don't want your book, and we don't want your people. So they're trying to get rid of him, they're trying to get rid of the scripture, and they're trying to get rid of Israel, right? So Jesus is coming as a mighty man of war. The disciples did have it right. But they didn't know that for 2,000 years, Jesus was going to be making intercession. I mean, what are the odds that this room right now has human beings in it here, in this day and age, in America, who love a Jewish man who died 2,000 years ago? Like, how did that happen, <laughs> right? That in and of itself is a sign and a wonder. How did that happen? For 2,000 years, he's been praying, and Holy Spirit has been pouring the love yes. of Yeshua yes. into the hearts of people in every tongue and tribe. And when that gospel reaches the ends of the world, 
And when Israel invites him back, Yeshua is going to come back as a mighty man of war in the flesh, in the flesh, leading an army, eradicating the, the, the enemies. But this is his kingdom, and we are a part of it. We are a part of it. And beloved, it is worth it. That is what I want to say to you today, is it is worth it. I'll Come tell you on. one quick story. I think, I, I don't know if I told this last time, but I'm sure, if I don't remember, probably you don't remember either. So, <laughs> we're all good, right? But I remember, this was several years ago, um, and I, I was in the prayer room, and I had been trying to live according to my understanding of the kingdom. As I was reading from Genesis to Revelation, I said, okay, I'm going to love you with all my heart, my soul, and mind, my strength which is a lot harder than you think if you actually try to do it. It will transform your life. Like, like actually try to do it. You know, don't just say it, but do it. And I said, I'm going to do Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I'm going to do John 12 through 17, and I'm going to do it. So I've been going hard for years. And I remember one day I just sat down in the prayer room, and I was, you know, I was kind of like, ah, Lord, you probably have days like, so did I get it right? Uh, and I have made choices that I would never put on other people, but for me, I made choices. You know, I never got married. I gave all my money away. I lived very simple. I could have made millions of dollars, and I gave it all away. I never touched a dime of it. I was thinking about all the men I could have married. I was thinking about the babies I could have had. I was thinking of the vacations I could have taken and the homes I could have built. And all that's good. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I was just thinking, did I, did I get it right? Like, really? Did I have to do that? And I was kind of like, not feeling sorry for myself, but like, man, somebody should have told me <laughs> when I was 20 that I was going to feel different 20 years later, right? And I was just kind of sitting there like, mm, I don't know. And I was picturing my future. I'm like, so this is how you lead. I'm going to become a middle-aged woman in a prayer room telling you what you tell me to tell you what you already know. And this is how I'm going to die. This is how you leave. I was thinking, why didn't I just build a house and have a husband and have a family? Why did I, why was I so radical? Like, why did I do this? You know what I mean? So I was sitting there. I didn't really think I was complaining, but I was just kind of like, I don't know. Do I want to continue doing this? I was asking the Lord. And I literally just plopped my Bible open like this, and it opened immediately to Malachi 3.13. And it says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And I stopped right there. And I went, how am I the harsh one? <laughs> I said, how am I being harsh against you? You took everything. You took everything. And he said, well, you said you would give it to me. And I was like, I didn't know you were actually going to take it. Like I said, I would do anything. I would give everything. I don't know what I thought. Maybe we'd work something out. I don't know. But you took it. Like you literally said, okay, you took it. And I was like, how am I the harsh one here? And then I look back down and it says, and yet you say in your heart, how am I the harsh one? <laughs> and how have we spoken against you? And I went, ah! I was like, oh no, he's in my head. He's reading my thoughts. Oh no, oh no. He saw it all. Yikes. I suddenly felt very convicted. And he goes, what you say in your heart, what have we spoken against you? And you've said in your heart, it is useless to serve God. You say, why have we kept his order? It's to Israel, but in the moment he was talking sure, to me. Yeah. Yeah. He said, 
What profit is it that we keep his ordinances or that we've walked as mourners, that we fast, that we pray? He goes, you're saying in your heart, you're looking at the proud and you're saying they have it better off than you have it. And it was like an arrow that went into my soul. Because I was saying it's a vain thing to follow God. This is not worth it. I was like, vanity of vanities. I'll just, I should just live like a heathen and say the sinner's prayer mm. on my deathbed and escape from the hell barely. You know, that's really what I was thinking. Like, why am I doing this? And then he goes, but those who fear the Lord speak to one another. The Lord listens and he remembers and he writes it in his book. He goes, Misty, I've seen it all. He has seen it all. Only he knows the sacrifices that you have given. Right. Only he knows the times when you wanted to just get out of the faith or get out of the church or get out of the marriage or get out of whatever it is and you stay because you love him. And he writes it in his book. He writes it in his book yeah. because they shall be mine. He goes, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? Is it enough that you are mine? And I began to weep and weep when I realized I had been accusing God. I didn't like his kingdom. I didn't like his ways. I didn't trust his leadership. And the Lord rearranged my heart. He said, you will be mine, and I will make you like a jewel. In other words, I, you will be my brag point. At the end of your life, when you're conformed from that egocentric baby into sacrificial love, that's all that he's after. He goes, I don't, it's not about your books or your CDs, and who cares if right. you're a middle-aged right. woman sitting in a prayer and telling me what I tell you. If that's what I want from you, is that not enough for you? Mm. Am I not enough for you? You are mine. <coughs> and at the end of our lives, we'll be like a royal diadem, like a jewel, like this. And he's going to go, look, look at my love. Look what can happen when people respond to my love. They actually become like me, meek and lowly and gentle at heart. And these are the people that he will entrust the earth to in the age to come, literally. These are the people he will entrust power to in this age of, in, to a certain extent. These are the people he entrusts his heart to. These are the people he wants to call friends. Am I enough for you? He says, because you're enough for me. You're mine. You're mine. Yes. And that day in the prayer, I began to weep and weep. And I repented and I said, you're enough for me. And I signed up again. I said, this is, I'm going to do this. You are watching. There truly is an audience of one. And it matters. And we are part of not only something ethereal, but earthy. But the way he evaluates us truly, truly, truly is from our hearts. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Come on, who can relate to that? Who can relate to that? You know, I, the Lord always comes to me with the story of the prodigal son. And uh, I think some of us can relate to what Missy was, particularly of her upbringing. But like, I, I wasn't really the prodigal son. I was the son that stayed home and seemingly did everything right. I say seemingly, because we're all prodigals, right? We return to the Lord. But you know, some people party when they're 18 years old. Some people are praying and interceding, right? 
Uh, and so the Lord just reminded me this story. It's so funny. It's, you know, so many people teach out of the story of the prodigal son all the time. Like, he returned, he returned, he returned, you know? Wasting all of his dad's inheritance. He did all this kind of stuff, and then he came back, and the Lord is, the, you know, obviously the father represents the Lord. His arms are wide open, receiving him. And I was like, but Lord, I never went out and spent off your inheritance. I never went off and ran around and did things. I was here serving I was the older son. I'm like, how come he's never taught about it? It's quite funny because that was the issue of the older son. Like, how come you're not paying attention to me? In 2,000 years, no one still teaches about the older son that remained. It's actually quite ironic. The Lord just put in my heart. It's actually whether you're a prodigal son or you're one that stayed and remained. They both essentially have the same spiritual root problem. They did not understand. They didn't understand the heart of their father. The prodigal goes and just older stays the father to both of them is saying you don't understand whether you go away or if you do everything right whether you do everything right or if you do everything wrong it doesn't matter because you're mine you are my son and so both of those archetypes both of those types of people need to get that register who here is like a, a prodigal son type like you, you screwed it all up at some point in your life right now, obviously, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But bear, hear my heart. But who here was like, but I kind of like did things like that the way I was supposed to do them. All of us have this in common. So many things. One of the paramount things is to understand that it doesn't matter if you do everything right. You strive after it. You try to do everything perfect. Or if you screw everything up, he's still there going to Adam. Where are you, Adam? Never once, never once did Adam in the garden have to say unto God, where are you? The question throughout the ages, as the, uh, the, the, the Jewish philosopher Abraham Heschel has said, has never been, where are you, God? But rather, where are you, Adam? I want to be with you. So we say, Lord, we're right here. We hide not ourselves with skins nor fig leaves. We are just here undone before you. To receive our inheritance in Christ Jesus. For us to understand what it means to be a son, daughter of the Most High God. Completely undone before you. Sons, daughters, yes, but also disciples and yet even bond servants, slaves of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, Messiah. Amen. Mario is going to uh, lead us in some in some worship for the end of here. We just want to invite you. There it might be a little tight downstairs, but we'll make it work. There'll be some refreshments and stuff. But I just want to invite Clayton and Holly to come on down. They're going to be moving here in the next couple weeks or month or whatever it may be. They, they both have a very powerful healing ministry in Ohio that is coming to the Philadelphia region. And I just want to encourage you. There are, we're talking like people getting out of wheelchairs. We're talking about blind eyes opening. We're talking about people that are deaf that now hear. We're talking about uh, multiple sclerosis or sclerosis of the spine uh, just two weeks ago. That being, we're talking incredible, incredible things. And I just believe that the Lord is doing something between between worship and, and the word which was just given by Misty and, and Clayton and Holly Beaker. The Lord wants to do something. 
So I just encourage you, if you have some ailments, if you have some things, wait, come on down. And we'll pray for you. Feel free to stay in the presence here. Feel free to stay in the presence. We just ask that if there's communication, I know there's a lot of friends and a lot of meetings of, of, of people here. We just ask you to move into the lobby or even into the multi-purpose room next door uh, where you guys can have your conversations. We just want to keep this place a habitation of the Lord. Have a wonderful week. Amen. Have an unbelievable, thankful Thanksgiving. Amen. And we would love to see you here next week at 10 o'clock. Have a wonderful week and God bless. Oh, my